You don't get the flu in the summer. Some folks do, or it's just food poisoning and they don't know what it is. Is that true? <laughs> I, don't know. I feel like there was one day where I was said, I got the flu. But looking back, I'm pretty sure it was just food poisoning. But it gave me a fever. You know, I mean, I was throwing up, you know, out of both ends. Oh, beautiful. I'm doing the That's Egyptian. Really... I feel like the walk she, like Carrie, Egyptian. when she said, yeah, throwing up both ends, she did walk <laughs> like an Egyptian. If you guys could picture what that looks like. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it is special. Um, so I'm a little anxious, so I have a surprise for you. I have a, a present for you. What? I have a present for you to give you. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. Do you want it? <laughs> I'm nervous, but yes. Um, okay. Do you see how the little desk you're sitting at has mini drawers on either side? Look in the left drawer by your microphone. Quinn, this is... <laughs> Trying to not... Not the big drawer. See the mini drawers up top? <gasps> Quinn... So look in that drawer, and there's a present for you in there. <laughs> oh, my God, Quinn! This happened this morning. Carrie. <laughs> 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 Dear readers, I wish you could see Carrie. Oh, my She's, God! It's Quinn. crazy, right? Oh, I'm getting up. I don't care. There's two in there, hug. just to prove that I really made the effort. <laughs> Well, let's be clear. It's, um, let me be clear. All right. So Carrie, do you want to tell everybody what your present was? My present is a new baby. (laughs) It's true. So here's what happened. And here's like the truth of it. I drank a lot last night, (laughs) starting with a martini. Because it was like beautiful weather. We walked over. <laughs> By the way, you I peed like, on that and I'm like touching it. I'm so we excited. We should be like, I was like, M- with everything that's going on, we should be patronizing our local restaurants. So it was a lovely day. Koa and Matt and I walked down the street and went to a happy hour and got French fries and oysters and a drink. Koa didn't have a drink, everyone. But I did have a martini. And then I went home and my lovely uh, housemates... <laughs> Uh, I have two friends that live, I live in a house and my friends live on a different floor of the house and they made a really special dinner. And I was all soft cheeses. It was uh, (laughs) lasagna. (gasps) Oh, yummy. Yes. Amazing. But we did have, my friend owns a wine store and we had several delicious glasses of wine throughout the night's events, which were a long night, 6.30 to 11.30 of hanging out. So... I don't know, probably had a glass of wine every hour. I'm not going to lie. And I had this like pang of anxiety and I was drunk. So I was chatty about it. And I was like, here's the thing. Matt and I had sex somewhere in the vicinity of a time when we maybe shouldn't have. We did not have sex while I was ovulating, but we had sex nearish a time when I was ovulating in a way where we are not trying to have a baby right now. Actively or just... At all. At At all? No, no. Um, Okay. We have talked about that we wanted a second baby, but we were going to try this summer. And it was like decided. Because I was like, well, I want to drink at my sister's wedding and and blah, 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 blah. Um, So, oh my God. So basically, 
I'm just like running my mouth about it. And Spencer, my friend, is like, well, we can Postmates a pregnancy test (gasps) and take one right now tonight. And I was like, oh, my God, like, should I like I'm sure I'm not pregnant and I haven't missed a period. I'm five days away from my period even. Shouldn't I just like be a normal person and wait and see if I miss a period? And he orders a Postmates delivery of a pregnancy test because we are <laughs> definitely drinking and think that's the right idea. We well, also, also ordered we delivery of pie. So that's where we were at. We were just calling on all the things. I love that. In yeah. crisis, we call on that. It takes a village, baby. So the test is taking a long time to arrive and Spencer's like, it's delayed. And we're both so tired at this point. I was like, let's go to bed. Leave them, leave them a note because you can leave the delivery guy a note in the app. And we left him a note that said, just leave it in the stroller. (laughs) Wake up this morning. I had totally forgotten about it. And Spencer texted me, are we having a baby? And I was like, oh, right. Did that test ever come? And he's like, I assume it's in the stroller. So I went out to the porch and I got it. And I was like, whatever. Having my morning cup of coffee this morning. Go and pee on it. And it comes back. I'm pregnant. And I was like, what? And the first thing that hits you is just like a wave of, if I'm honest, just a wave of terrible guilt Aww. of having drank not in a calm way the night before in a several Let's go glasses. For it. <laughs> like I wasn't like crazy. I wasn't like dancing on tables, but it was. And I've always been somebody that has done the research and knows the studies. And I know that you can have a glass of wine with dinner when you're pregnant and nothing bad will happen. And I did that when I was pregnant with Koa. Hello. We went to Spain. I was not going (laughs) to skip the wine. But I also know that having a glass of wine is one thing. And having a martini followed by several is just a different thing altogether. Also, I'm four days away from when my period should happen. That's insane. We got first response. It says that you can detect it four to five days before you've even missed a period. So you're like that. I am like not even pregnant right now, pregnant. I am so like maybe I'll be pregnant, pregnant. But I, my body, thank God I did the research on this too. My body hasn't even made a placenta yet. So the the it's zygote just inside me is not even uh, siphoning what I'm putting into my body. Luckily, (laughs) it's not like having a martini when I'm having one. Oh my God. So this is is like, I've had the weirdest day. I was like, I think I need to go on a walk by myself around the park, which I did. It's just that thing where it's a huge mind shift. And I wasn't really sure that I was ready. You know, I breastfed Koa for a long time till he was like 20, two months or something. Mm -hmm. So really, I just stopped breastfeeding him this past summer. And what I wanted was one full year that I definitely wasn't pregnant, wasn't breastfeeding and felt like full ownership of my body. Yeah. Um, And I obviously did not get that full year. (laughs) But it's also like, yeah, there's all kinds of feelings about it. I mean, obviously, it's exciting. It's just was very uh, unexpected craziness. First of all, I'm so happy. I'm also so happy for Koa. And I did notice when I was reading him a book, there's a book called Big Brother. Oh, that's weird because you know why? I found it today on the street and brought it home on the street in our neighborhood, just like on the sidewalk in a box of like, we're getting rid of stuff was on the street. And I was like, oh, there's this Big Brother book. I'm going to bring it home and read it to Koa. Uh, But sort of kismet-ish. Quinn. Cuckoo, right? 
What a day. Are you okay? Like, I mean, mental health wise, are you okay? I am. I'm okay. Yeah. Good. Like, I'm okay. I you think, can also not be, but I, yeah. Well, and, and so I was thinking talking, to ask while recording. <laughs> uh, well, no, I'm okay. And I would tell you that, I mean, the thing is, I call my mom, obviously, and we had a chit chat. And I said, I think I'm going to tell Carrie when we record today. And I said to her, you know, I know people would maybe say you're not supposed to talk about it this early. Yeah. I have not missed a period. I'm not in that six week. Everything's yeah. going to be okay. Probably area. Yeah. But I've always felt like there's plenty of people that have miscarriages at every step in the game. And it's this thing that you're not supposed to talk about. Yeah. And that makes it, I don't, that's weird to me. You're allowed to talk about so many other things. Why not that? And so is the whole point that I'm not supposed to talk about being pregnant right now because I'm going to take everybody on a ride with me and then have to tell everybody I'm mm-hmm. not pregnant? Wouldn't it be that bad to tell everybody I think I'm it's not of pregnant two minds. anymore? I think it's of two minds. I think because I feel similarly, but I also respect, you know, people not sharing until it's the right time for them because they don't want to have to. Once the cat is out of the bag, it's really hard to put said cat back in bag. I mean, it's not really. You shouldn't hard. put cats in bags. From they're not what I understand. I don't own a cat. Are, but. Yeah, I don't own a cat either. I do own a pussy, but and you're not supposed to put those in bags. Just dibic boxes. Just dibic boxes. Right. I feel similar where I'm like, if I'm going through something, and people can find out, and then they'll have to find out if anything bad happened and I won't be alone I'm sure your community will come up you know what I mean like I think there's and I'm just an I'm a chronic oversharer <laughs> in general because it makes me feel anxious to not tell people things I gotta tell you lying by omission feels just like I I have such guilt for lies by omission that I'm just like I and don't can even wanna... you imagine walking around for six weeks the biggest thing that that's going on in your to life a person yeah. essentially the biggest life-changing thing and you're not talking to people about it and you see people and they're like how are you and you do a weird thing and you're like fine how are you weird weather how about this coronavirus like it's i cannot imagine speaking to the guy that sells me bagels and not telling him like i would be he's gonna be like uh, what's do your you want onion or whole wheat yeah, and i'm gonna be like first of all i'm by pregnant the way. I don't know this egg about you. everything. Same. This gets crazy. Are you ready? They hate me there. Egg everything. Yes. Lox cream cheese. Uh-huh. Because it's less expensive than Lox. Love your style. Quinn, with same. tomato, onion, cucumber, and sprouts. Sprouts? Well, you know, the whole thing is when I'm ordering a bagel, I'm kind of like guilty feeling. So you got to cut that so shit out. So then I throw like a whole salad on it. And I'm like, this is actually health food, quite frankly. Plus, I'm getting some fish, some omegas. It feels, which I, you're not supposed to have locks, I think, if you're, if I recall correctly. There's a few things that my mind was reeling where I was like, shouldn't have those oysters, definitely can't have locks. Can I, I'm also going to say, it sounds like you've done the research and that no nurturing, what's done is done. And to like beat yourself up over it, you can't do that. Even though it's hard, I totally get it. But also, I'm also of the mind going, hell yeah, you just had oysters. Thank God you had oysters and last martini, night. And right. a martini. Because you're not going to have that. Got my yayas out for the next year. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I think, like, great. Those are done. Yeah. Were they good oysters? Were they East Coast oh, oysters? Oh, man. 
They were so good. And they had a funny name. I wish I could remember it. And <laughs> Koa was so funny to our waiter. He was like, what is your name? And the guy was like, John. And he goes, I'm Koa. This is Matt and Quinn. And this is my baby, Tess. And he had his doll with him, Tess. She has like marker all over her face. He was like, okay, good to meet you guys. That's really cute. That Koa and Quinn, this is huge. I mean, I don't want to. I'm so I just thought it'd be so funny to uh, put a positive pregnancy test in a drawer and make you open them. That was the greatest (laughs) gift I could have ever received. And I peed on it, so that's saying a lot. And I touched it. I don't usually pee on the gifts I give people, but. But this one you did, and for that, I'm eternally grateful. I'm eternally grateful. This is yay. Are you going to name the baby Truly Darkly Creepily? Yeah. Do you think it's too long? (laughs) No, it's a first, middle, and last. What about just. Creepler. That's cute. <laughs> That's really cute. Call her creepy. Yeah. Him or... You said her. I didn't mean to. Whoa. What do you think? Are you psychic? We don't know yet. We don't know it. I mean, it's six. I'm it's obviously like going to let you days. know, dear readers, as soon as I know. The minute I know. <laughs> but you're not going to know until a couple weeks out because we record these a back aloud. Back aloud. I worry about when we recorded episode 18 about <laughs> being nonchalant about the virus. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to cut that out. Mm hmm. <laughs> Probably going to have to cut out us talking about the virus now because it's going to seem nonchalant. Ooh, scary. I hope, wait, I hope though. Oh, to, like us talking about it now is going to feel nonchalant. We don't know when this when releases. You... Isn't that interesting? Uh... It could be over. It could be bigger. It could be samesies. We don't know. I'm just like, so, so my yoga studio shut down. And I know you just said you're pregnant and a lot of people, but my yoga studio just shut down. So what do I do? And then they said they'll stop our like membership and we can stop paying but i gotta tell you i feel like i should keep giving them money during this because everyone if you can you should everybody's suffering i mean and i obviously can't go out for any more more martinis so what am i gonna do uh to help my neighborhood (laughs) (laughs) well next time you just have the fries Oh, yeah. Don't and be I'm, a dumb And don't feel bad about that either because I'm no. eating for two. I liked saying that like really early in the game last time I was pregnant because you don't have any symptoms for a while. And it's just funny to be like, well, I'm going to start binge eating. <laughs> Are your boobs sensitive right now? No, I have not had You've any. you had no symptoms. I've had no symptoms that I'm aware of. Um, and come on, I am barely pregnant. Talk to me I after can't I've believe... at least missed this period. I can't believe that. I cannot believe that that has already saying you're pregnant and you're five days before a missed period. I know. And I took both because it came insane. with two. And it's very clear. It's not even faint. Was it, which did is it happen immediately? Or a chemical it... in your body at, that you would have if you were pregnant. and Progesterone, right? Or something? Yeah. Something like that. That sounds right. And <laughs> Just you add with... any word with own on the end and it's a hormone supermodel scientist <laughs> carry esterone that sounds like a fucking yes carry esterone yeah it's beautiful it just makes you have big boobs and eat a lot <laughs> <laughs> what i'm headed toward friend and honestly nothing says pregnant like big boobs and eating a lot gotta get some talenti no bullshit in the house not at all stocked currently damn you ate it you Poor ate the rest Carrie. of it she didn't know what was going on she brought me wine today <laughs> <laughs> now I have to adjust. No, but that'll get drunk. I'm not worried about that. That'll get drunk, yeah. Matt I'm really not worried that. about that. Matt Matt needs it right now. You know, I mean, he needs it. He deserves it. How did he react? Um, He said he went to give a speech, which was really interesting. It was something about like, he went to I give just a started speech? cracking up because he said something like, 
I really want to be there for, and I was like, oh, are you going to be there for me during this? Do, do you plan to like be a part of this? That's so great to hear. And he was like, yes. In fact, I would really hope to be so close to the baby that he thinks of me as a sort of uncle. Uncle Matt. And I was like, great. Wait, so he thinks the baby's a boy. Um, I think the baby's a boy because I did you saw my you... sister's psychic last year. Janin? Uh, Brianna gave me a session with Janin as a Christmas present. I asked for a seamless gift card. That's what she gave me. Fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Janin... <laughs> Janin so told me that I would have another son in the year of 2020. So if the first part was true, then the second part would be it's a son. You know, the truth is, if it's another boy, I'll be relieved because I feel like I'm in the headspace of like, yeah, I know what to do if it's a boy. If it's a girl, I think I'll be super excited, but also anxious. I think Matt definitely wants a girl. I will be very anxious if it's a girl simply because it seems to me there's a little bit of a responsibility that I'm not ready for that is creating like uh, body positivity and not being like the idea that I would have a little girl and then she would start wearing makeup or dressing kind of like slutty when she goes to school. Yeah. And I just cannot imagine the feelings that would elicit. And I feel like you have a son and they like mostly just keep wearing sweats, you know? Yeah. I don't worry about there's some there's different stresses, different. And I haven't seen any of those because my kid's fucking two. I think it's funny, though, because you were raised in a group of four girls. Yeah, but I had issues with that. Mm. And like wanting to be sexy when I was, you know, I think sexy, thirteen or fourteen. I think I, I wanted like to be. That. I think I wanted to be. Maybe I wanted to be sexy, but my mom really kicked that out of me. Not she like, <laughs> beat the living sexy out of me. <laughs> my mom beat the sexy out of me. <laughs> no, I think it was. I remember my friends make fun of me because I'm. I used to be very skinny, like disgustingly skinny. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked sickly. Because I was really tiny and I just got really tall. I got not really tall. I got tall pretty quickly. And so everything they were selling were short shorts. Mm-hmm. And my mom refused to buy me any shorts that were short. So I would walk around summers in capris or Bermuda shorts because my mom refused to buy me short shorts. That's and if anything great. was like a crop top, my mom, again, refused to buy it. It was one of those things. But my mom, true, and that, as you know me now, I'm not one to dress <laughs> I think sexy in any way. And I think my mom, I guess maybe my me want because I wanted to dress like Britney Spears. Here's the thing. It's totally fine to dress however you want. But I think the part that gives me anxiety is the who are you doing it for? So it's the feeling of like, it's not, oh, no, my kid's wearing this to school. I don't like that. It's I don't care what you wear, but why are you doing it? And the vibe of girls wanting so badly to get attention or approval from a guy mm-hmm. and often that being the case when they start to change what they wear or think about too much what they wear that's the part that I get uh Confused. anxiety around See, I think I think Samaya I'll probably say the same thing you just did but I I feel like 
I would love it if we lived in a world where we can all walk around naked and no one would bat an eye at, but that's not the world that we live in. We live in a world where men still sexualize women and men still think they can take advantage or that women are asking for it. And so it's one thing to dress empowered for yourself and sexy and have autonomy. And I totally respect that. And I love that. However, the world that we live in doesn't support that idea just yet. And I think I'm really proud to have friends who are on the front line who are, you know, fighting that patriarchal status quo of what it means to be sexy for yourself as opposed to for anyone else. But if I had a daughter, I'd feel really hesitant for them to participate in that idea because you can't stop weirdos from, you know, I mean, we, we have a whole podcast about creepy things creepers and you know we just had the craigslist killer you know a Mm -hmm. couple episodes back and so it's like the world we live in isn't supporting that sexual autonomy in a way that i'd like and i feel like i don't know if i'd want my daughter to be on the front lines of that even though i respect the choice as a parent i would be anxious about that maybe we'll do write-ins i'll just ask for people to write in and help me raise (laughs) my daughter if i have one i'll be like so what do i do now guys and we'll all work together and we'll get through this okay takes a fucking village dear readers that's you oh my god you are my village i wish i had a better segue to our stories Um, for the first time i I I get to go first this time did is that true I get to be firsties. You get to be firsties. Quinlan gets to be... All right. The pregnant oh, one goes oh. for... <laughs> I almost just fell off the bed. I lost Ooh. the baby. Oh, God. Okay, I can't can you push the microphone jokes. just away from you a little bit? Mm-hmm. Is that good? Great. Yeah. Okay. So the story that I'm doing, I'm I so got excited. I got news from Wikipedia, Toronto City News, ABC News, Chicago Tribune. <gasps> Psychology Today, Mental Floss, why not? Why you know? not? And the World Science Festival. Ooh. <laughs> Wait, cool, right? I'm just trying to piece it together. I have to do a little bit of sciencey stuff to figure this out. This is the story of uh, Kenneth Parks. You're not going to know from that name what the story is, I I'm assume. like thinking Kenneth Parcell. He's a Canadian. I was going to say Toronto. Uh, originally from Toronto. Well, you said the Toronto Times. I said, oh, oh and then you said that, Chicago. That is a good clue. I didn't even hear myself say it. And then you said Chicago, it. and I'm from Chicago, so I'm going, oh my gosh, what's happening? What's, what's happening? happening? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of he, he and his fam, when he was little, they were from Toronto, but then they settled in Pickering, Ontario. Uh, and his parents got divorced when he was a kid, okay. five. His mom remarried. So he has no contact with his dad until he's like 18 he does not have relationships really with his parents. He also isn't close to his mom and ends up actually getting raised by his grandparents. He did not do well in school. He was a troubled kid. And in junior high school, he was arrested once for petty theft. I mean, I mean, it's petty theft. He's we all know that I committed petty high. theft in junior high. He's so also junior I feel high. connected to that personally. <laughs> oh, yeah. But so then he's 16. His parents move away. He moves in with grandma. But that is sort of beside the point, just a little background. But now please join me when Kenneth Parks is at the age of 23 years old. He is married to Karen Parks and they have a five-month-old baby girl. Cutie Canadian fam. What's not to like? Well, I'll tell you. (laughs) So May 24th, 1987. Bob Dylan's birthday. I was five years old. Ken Parks is watching... SNL on the couch with his wife and he is feeling shitty. He feels like shit. Okay. 
His marriage is not going awesome at all. He is sleeping on the couch at the time. That's actually his bed. So you might say they're hanging out on his bed watching SNL. I can't believe SNL is a part of this story. I can't wait. It's really not, but I just am painting the true picture of what was taking place. Who was in the cast at the time? (laughs) Great, great question. I actually don't know. When I was five, it was a good cast, though. It was a good cast. A lot of them dead. Karen invites him, do you want to come sleep in the bedroom when she goes to bed, which is after midnight, and he refuses because he says, I actually want to wait. I want to fix some of these problems I've caused us before I start sleeping in the bed again, and I'm also not that tired. He's very anxiety-ridden, and I'll kind of explain what's going on. That that summer, the summer before, he had um, gotten really into placing bets on horses. Who hasn't been there? I'm sorry, but the way you say placing bets and horsies is just like, <laughs> the guy had a gambling issue. He did indeedy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pregnant makes Quinn funnier. Did uh, you know? Is it true? Um, so severe financial problems ensue. And what he ends up doing to try to cover his ass and get more money to gamble to try to win is he steals $32,000 from his employer, which was Revere Electric. But he obviously, we know how that story goes, he keeps losing the money, and then the company finds out about it, and he gets fired. Then, because he stole so much money and couldn't be like, here it is back, there's these court proceedings brought against him, and his wife finds out, and she's, well, how do you think she feels? I think she totally handles it in stride that Karen, she really, Karen Parks gets it. Karen joke. She's a little mad is what you should know. I'd be so freaking PO'd. I couldn't oh. even, and I'm going to say it like that. I'd be so freaking PO'd. I'd, oh, I'd well, kill Well, she him. tells him first things first, you got to go to Gamblers Anonymous. So. Way to treat the, wait, that is mazel to her, honestly. Yeah. Treating it like in the actual so mental health issue. So he's bail. And he's awaiting trial, and he's going to Gamblers Anonymous. He had also, it turns out, raided the family savings to cover the debt. Of course. So now he and his wife, Karen, are going to have to sell their house. So I think you're starting to get a pretty clear picture. Of why he's in a BM, as we call a bad mood. Not a bad movement. And sleeping on a sofa. (laughs) Okay? So he had stopped being social in the... Weeks he had been doing some social isolating, as we all are <laughs> want to do these days. He's social distancing emotionally, not for a virus. Oh my gosh! Sidebar: Go When I it. texted my dad the picture of the pregnancy test, you not know what he wrote back. So I guess you're not participating in this social distancing. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good, right? I died. Damn it, Larry. Damn it, Larry. Give us a shout out to Larry Posner, folks. Larry Posner, folks. God, I love Larry Posner. Um, You know, he wore short shorts of mine once. (laughs) Save that story for another time. Uh, So Parks, Ken Parks, he's suffering from pressure headaches, insomnia. He's gained a lot of weight. He's like... He's depressed. Extremely depressed, extremely stressed out. He would wake up sometimes um, and be heavily breathing and feel like there was pressure on his chest. 
he saw a doctor and the doctor gave him some treatment for asthma, but really the symptoms were more like symptoms of a severe anxiety disorder brought on by all the stress of what he's going through. Their plan this May evening is that the next day they're going to go to her parents' house and tell them everything that's been going on. They were going to have a barbecue or something the next night with them, and he was going to let them know. He was really nervous about that, I think, because one thing you should know is he had a really close relationship with his in-laws. When he first met Karen, remember, they're a really young couple. He's 23. She was a teenage runaway, and he convinced Mm -hmm. her to go back to her parents. Um, So his 42-year-old mother-in-law, Barbara Ann Woods, referred to him. Holy shit, they're so young. Well, everyone's, yeah, everyone 20, having babies. Meanwhile, folks, 37, right here, doing it up. (laughs) Um, So Barbara Ann Woods would refer to her son-in-law as her gentle giant. He was a big guy. He was like six foot four. This just seems so sad of just like, ugh, everything. It's already sad, yeah. And he was really... He had this closeness to them that I think he never had with his biological parents. Mm-hmm. So they were so they were his parents. He loved them a lot. And after he lost his job, he got really ashamed and sort of stopped visiting them. Of course. But there oh. was an upcoming thing where he was going to go tell them tomorrow. And he also planned to, I think, fix their furnace. Okay. Because he's like a model son-in-law. He falls asleep on the couch around 1.30 a.m., And the next thing he remembers is he looks down and he sees his mother-in-law's face staring at him with her eyes and mouth totally frozen open. And he's like, where am I? He goes downstairs because he's upstairs and gets in his car all in a daze, starts the car, realizes there's a knife in his hands. He drives right to the police station and he gets there at 4.45 a.m. So we're now about three hours, 15 minutes after he has fallen asleep. And he tells them, I think I've killed some people. My hands. And they look at his hands and he's got all his flexor tendons are severed. <gasps> um, so he's bleeding profusely. Blood everywhere. And you would be in so much pain, but he's sort of not. Like he's just kind of realizing it as he's saying it to them. So what oh my we God. are... I know this is mental. Okay. What we are to understand from his account and the evidence of the crime scene is this. Asleep, he got off the sofa, put on his shoes, got his car keys, opened the front door to his house, left it wide open, got into his car, pulled out of the garage, which he also left wide open. Drove 14 miles. Not to his in-laws, not to his in-laws, not to his in-laws. To his in-laws' home in Scarborough. No. He retrieved a tire iron from his trunk. No. Let himself into the house with his key that he had to their house. Strangled his father-in-law until he passed out. And I think he stabbed him as well. He bludgeoned his mother-in-law with the tire iron, giving her a subarachnoid hemorrhage before stabbing her six times in the chest, shoulder, and ultimately the heart with a kitchen knife. Uh, One of the stabs went into her heart and killed her. Kenneth's recollection was seeing, the next thing was seeing her face with her eyes and mouth open, and he describes it as being a very sad face. 
He says after seeing her face, he just sat there and then he heard kids yelling because they had still kids, his wife's younger siblings in the house. Oh, my God. He recalls thinking that the kids, which is their teenage daughters, are in trouble and need help. He says he yelled, kids, 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 and went toward their rooms. But the kids say what they heard was him moving down the hall and grunting like an animal, not saying any words in English, and then leaving without harming them. At some point, though I'm not sure when, he does go into the kitchen and takes the landline off the hook. And he drives straight from there to the police station. And then we know what happens at the police station. So the police take Parks to the Sunnybrook Medical Center for treatment of his hands. And they determine, they try to determine what's his ability to give consent for surgery. Is like, is he out of his mind? Uh, so they do a psychiatric assessment and the examining psychiatric resident tentatively diagnosed Parks with psychogenic amnesia and depression without psychotic features. So they say it's okay for him to give consent for the surgery, which he does. Um, after the surgery, he's interviewed by the police and charged with first-degree murder. First-degree? First-degree murder. So we're going to talk for a second about his history with sleep stuff. Researchers say there's a genetic basis to sleepwalking and that children whose parents are sleepwalkers are two to three times more likely to exhibit the same behavior. Now, at age 13, his mom caught him in his sleep climbing out their apartment window. He was halfway out already, like his feet and legs were out, and they were six stories up. So he would have died. And she got him out of the situation, grabbed him. His family history of sleepwalking is that there's 20 first degree and second degree family relatives that have parasomnia, which is the word for sort of like a sleepwalking disorder. It, their sleepwalking disorders cover all four types, which are sleepwalking, sleep terrors, sleep talking, and sleep related eating disorders. Kenneth's granddad was also a sleepwalker and he would walk around the house and sometimes cook food, but he wouldn't eat it. He would just wake up and he would get up and cook. That's uh, dangerous because if you leave a burner on, you fuck. Totally. He, so his whole, like 20 of his A first, lot of his family. Oh shit, that's crazy. Also, one thing that makes you vulnerable to big bouts of parasomnia or sleepwalking Ooh, 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 I'll guess. Oh, guess. Anxiety and lack of sleep. (laughs) He was sleep deprived for 48 hours before this happened. He had the the psychological stress that we know about. And he that day had played rugby on a hot, humid afternoon and was, as I mentioned, out of shape because he was depressed. So he was gaining weight. It sounds like his brain like misfired because the anxiety of going to his parents the next day and then... Oh, I hate this story. So the specialist's investigation reveals that Parks had been a severe bedwetter for a number of years, a chronic sleep talker, an occasional sleepwalker, and a deep sleeper who was hard to awaken. All those things. They do two overnight sleep studies with him, and he has frequent shifts to lighter sleeper wakefulness. Sleepwalking, sleep talking, bedwetting, deep sleeping, and night terrors are also found to be common in his family history. So he undergoes a series of these sleep tests, and the EEG scans show that he had abnormal brain activity during deep sleep. Periods of partial awakenings, which is indicative of parasomnia, 
the sleep disorder he has. Uh, since there's no way to fake your own EEG results, and he appeared to feel no pain when he arrives at the police station, it's pretty much determined by them. They're that like, he was we asleep. think he was sleepwalking when he did this. The doctors who examine him find evidence of depression and anxiety, but none say he shows any sign of any delusions or hallucinations or paranoia, no cuckoo-ness. And he has no history of that. But he was an occasional sleepwalker. So during seven oh different God. interviews with various doctors, lawyers, and the police, this is one thing I think is interesting. His explanation of what he did and did not remember happening that night never once changed a hair. Mm-hmm. Which if he had been, you would think if he had been conscious during it, I don't know, he might get confused about what party was supposed to. He didn't he was not able to give an explanation of what happened because it feels like when you wake up from a dream and unless you repeat it right away, you miss details. And I remember like anytime I have a weird dream that I want to share with someone, when I share it to them, those are the details that I do remember. Yeah. Oh wow. So the experts uh say that it could have been the result of a bunch of things sort of converging. Like you just said, his he had plans to fix his in-laws furnace. He was familiar with the route he was going to take to their house. And he was planning to drive that route the next day. He was worried about all these upcoming things in his life. The experts thought that maybe it suddenly occurred to him in his sleep that he needed to fix the furnace. So he got up to do that and then got interrupted by them, startled them, and went into a sort of animal fugue state mode where he killed them. Well, he didn't kill the father, but he tried to, or he did strangle him till he passed out. Sleepwalking occurs in the deep stage of sleep when slow brain waves begin to appear. So because of the slow brain waves, people who are asleep are not normally consciously aware of sensory input from their surroundings. So mm-hmm. in other words, pain, you would not be aware of that because of what your brain waves are doing like him cutting his hands would not yeah. jar him awake during sleep there's also a gating mechanism that blocks input from the cognitive brain to the motor system bear with me i'm going to kind of explain that it's there's a chemical messenger gaba that acts as an inhibitor and stifles the activity of the brain's motor system basically it, when you're asleep your brain is a gate goes up that says, don't talk to the body. Yeah. Don't send signals to the body right now. That makes sense. In parasomnia, me. there's a defect in that gating system. Like it doesn't come down all the way. And so, so the you brain can still... can still issue commands to your muscles. It can tell your body to do things because the gating system doesn't come down the way it should. So in children, the neurons that release this neurotransmitter are still developing. They haven't totally established, right? Mm -hmm. So they haven't, what you see in kids is they haven't started to keep motor stuff under control. So if you like watch a kid sleeping on a baby monitor at night, they switch head is this way. And then the next time you look at them, their head's the opposite way in the crib. Like they're sideways. They're all over the place while they sleep because... The gating mechanism hasn't totally developed yet. And if it underdevelops or it functions less effectively because of sleep deprivation or fever or anxiety or drugs, that happens. So in those cases, sleepwalking persists into adulthood. You don't ever have that gating mechanism fully developed for you. 
This is such an insane story. Yeah. It's also, he was 23, right? Yeah. You're not fully developed. I think in your hypothalamus or something in your reasoning brain until you're fully 25. Whoa. I didn't know that. They, I, that's why they say drinking, the drinking age is like really arbitrary where you shouldn't be doing any drugs. It's like until 25. Oof. Also, sleepwalkers have their eyes open so oh. they can see their environment, but they're not conscious, which is sort of hard to wrap your mind around. It's like the it's like being part a zombie. of the brain in charge of motion is awake, but the part that is in charge of awareness or cognition is asleep. Yes, it's like a zombie. They're awake and asleep at the same time. I was at a sleepover once and a girl, her eyelids, she was fully asleep with her eyes open. So gross. So gross. (laughs) It's scary. So the sleepwalker's brain processes visual and auditory stimuli from the surroundings, but the processing doesn't give rise to stable neuron activity. So because of that, the brain signals are not as strong as when you're awake. Um, This is why typically, I guess, sleepwalkers only do tasks they've done before, usually. Mm. Yeah. Because they're not fully awake, so they wouldn't, in their sleep, go paint if they've never painted and weren't thinking about an upcoming it's painting project. like the muscle project. memory sort of, like, comes in. Like, I would do a killer one-woman show if I was sleepwalking. Right, sleeping. Um, I would not. <laughs> uh, You'd, what you would do is you would solve some fucking dope-ass puzzles. Thank you. You're welcome. And what you see is another example is, like, I guess when sleepwalkers go on vacation – they get hurt because they bump into things because again, they're not totally fully awake right. where, when you're navigating a brand new space. Right. And that, they also say you're not supposed to wake up a sleepwalker, right? Yeah, they do say that. I think it's, I think if somebody has parainsomnia, that's probably where that myth comes from. I think in general it's, it's. I think it's because you scare them and like well, and when they react with to fear, it's like they're this not happens. themselves when they're reacting. Oh my God, um, the story. I'm so like, how do you blame this poor man? Well, so it's and been alleged family. in past criminal cases that people well, can't perform exceedingly complex tasks. And it feels like there's a lot of things about this. Hmm. Like driving 14 miles is yeah. a fucking feat. It's unlikely that enough visual information about the environment could be unconsciously processed for a person to be able to commit Mm. extremely complex multi-step actions in unfamiliar surroundings. Without being He wasn't necessarily in an unfamiliar surrounding, but okay, like sleepwalkers don't normally go on long trips in their sleep. Kenneth's granddad, who was a sleepwalker, you'll remember, never left the house. But there were several people with parasomnia in his family, and and there were a few sleepwalkers who I think did. He had a second cousin that left the house during sleepwalking. She just made it outside and sat there. So nothing. She just got outside, probably woke up outside and was like, why the fuck am I out here? But do you think, like, the correlation of the high stress he was under, of about to be going to jail and all that stuff, like, could have contributed to the heightened... Like, I'm wondering if, like, the stress is more... I think the the weirdness is the staying asleep during everything. So, like, he stayed asleep during the whole ordeal, but science says it's not hard to wake a sleepwalker if you try. Mm. it's it's not any harder than it is waking up somebody that's in deep sleep. Okay. But when he arrived at the police station, he had those cuts on his hand. That didn't wake him. Um, I mean, we talked about how there might have been some 
transmitting in his brain, not tell, not sending those pain signals. But there was a big struggle, is the truth. Like when they look at this crime scene, the bed is disheveled. The pillows are soaked in blood. The mattress was moved around so that the headboard was tipped. His mother-in-law was found outside the room, five or six feet away. So she had tried to run. It feels like there was enough of a struggle that, that it should have and imagine that. that they were screaming at him. I'm sure of it because like, what are you doing? Yeah. Pleading with him, whatever, yelling. We don't know. But that didn't wake him. We know that he didn't awaken from it. Was he on sleeping pills or anything? No, no. So let's go to trial. Let's go to court. On May 25th, okay. 1988, do, 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 do. after just a few hours of deliberation in this murder trial, the jury reaches a verdict of not guilty. And he was acquitted of the attempted murder of his father-in-law shortly after. After his release, he starts getting psychotherapy and taking anti-anxiety medication before bed. And after the acquittal, the trial judge's determination that somnambulism, which is another form of sleepwalking, is a form of non-insane automatism. And that was appealed to the Court of Appeal and then the Supreme Court of Canada. Okay, let me try to explain this. Sleepwalking, the idea that he was sleepwalking does not automatically lead to a full acquittal. Why? Okay. An involuntary act entitles an accused to an unqualified acquittal only if their condition isn't a disease of the mind that made the person insane. So if it's a disease of the mind, the person won't be acquitted. It will be a verdict of insanity. Mm-hmm. Some people told him you should plead insanity and were like, oh, it's kind of like a sleepwalking defense because it's a brain problem. But there's a lot of differences. For example, if he had done that, he probably would have been committed. If he had done that, he wouldn't have had the same custody rights with his daughter. Yeah. Because they'd be like, you're cuckoo, you can't be alone with your kid. But if it's not guilty, that's different. A disease of the mind, by the way, that's not a medical term. It's a legal term. Yeah. Um, and what it has to do with, what you should relate it to, is what is the likelihood of this happening again. Of this happening again. So if a condition presents recurring danger, it should be treated as insanity. If it's a condition from the internal makeup what's inside a person of the accused rather than external forces, that should also be a verdict of insanity because if it's an internal thing, it feels likely something might happen again. But the defense at Ken's trial argued that it was all this combination we just talked about of external forces that caused the killing. And it was extremely, extremely unlikely that all of these external forces would be identically in place ever again to cause a repeat offense. And both appellate courts that I just mentioned upheld that decision. Can I ask a question quickly? Yeah. Does it say what Karen, how Karen reacted to this? Karen divorced him shortly after the acquittal. Because here's the thing. He did kill her mom. mom. And like, I love Matt, but if he slept, walked, murdered my mom, I would awake, walk, murder him. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I just would. Of course, that's her mother. And then the other question I have is, whatever happened to the theft trial? Oh, great question. I actually don't know. I mean, he ended up fine. I know that he got remarried. He had like five kids after that. He... 
fucking ran for school trustee of his district in what at some point he didn't that, win he didn't win i mean i gotta tell you as soon as your school trustee it's like murdered my mother-in-law people probably aren't going to be necessarily trust trusting of that person into it. wild yeah um so there's this book that i think is 77 dollars on amazon called you paradox lost I, I know because I looked. I was like, oh, maybe I'll buy it. And then I was like, oh, maybe I won't. It's that Are people using that for toilet paper right now? <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's, it's $77. Cheaper. There was um, a guy that wrote it that it, the whole book is about like case studies. This guy, Dr. Shank, wrote it. And it's all about parasomnia case studies. And he talks about this case a lot. And he really agreed with the not guilty verdict because he really believes in this stuff. And then just anecdotally, I wanted to tell you that most violent sleepwalkers are men. But I was reading this notes from a woman named Rosalind Cartwright that studies this stuff. And she treated a woman who killed her cat in her sleep. And she (gasps) loved her cat so much. Isn't there a Mike Birbiglia special called Sleep With Me? Sleepwalk With Me or something? Yeah, he's a sleepwalker. He's a somambolambolist. He's a sommelier. He's a sommelier. He's a (laughs) parasommelier. Oh, my gosh. Um, And then just anecdotally i guess no i i don't there's like a whole other case that i found when i was doing this about sleepwalking um, do it for another episode because they just should... do the whole thing for another episode yes instead it of like, like it's side note mentioning that now i should no, just fucking you should do it for another episode because this stuff is so interesting and i i'm struggling with feeling sorry for him i mean i think it's hard to feel empathy for a person who killed a member of your family right like Mm -hmm. and he strangled her father like do you think i guess the question is 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 there any evidence that would that would indicate that he faked the insanity claim i mean the big thing was like the bloody the like the pain in his hands i to be honest I believe that it was sleepwalking. And the reason I believe it is there's no motive at all for doing it. And as soon as he, like, realized what he had done, his first thing was driving straight to the police station from there. He didn't try to weirdly take their money. He didn't try to. There's nothing that he had to gain from killing them. And they didn't have bad blood. That's horrifying. I know. That's so scary. Do you think when I go on dates with folks that I should ask if any of them are If they're sleepwalkers, Samama If they're a para-Somalier? Yeah, I do. That's Kenneth Parks. That's Holy the story shit. of Kenneth Parks. And it all um, started with an SNL episode. Yeah, just like most murders do. <laughs> Mine did not start with an SLL, SNL episode. How did yours start? Did you see that? That was that's, that's called what a we segue. Call a, a segue. <laughs> segue. <laughs> Here we go. Um, do you know the story of DB Cooper? It makes me think of the circus. Is there a reason it would? There's no reason it would. Let me tell you the story of this guy, DB Cooper. I I want you to say like DB Cooper and Barnum and Bailey's. <laughs> that's why for some reason I feel like they're all three friends. DB Cooper, Barnum and Bailey. They're not though, right? No. Unrelated. I first stumbled on this case when I was watching Mad Men years ago when people theorized 
Oh, great word that you just invented. Theorized? Yes. <laughs> what am I doing? This is a problem. Well, like when you're it. pregnant, I'm going to drink more wine and you're not. And so I'm going to come up like a drunken asshole every That's episode. That's okay. Haven't you heard of pregnancy brain? <laughs> it's I a have. real thing. It is a thing. Can't wait. Let's. So I just need to get drunk. The to right match amount. It. Mm-hmm. To the right amount. I mean, I've been isolated all day today. I feel like a, a caged This is animal. the first time you've talked to a human. So clunky clunks. No, I talked to my ex today. Woo! That sounds like a truly darkly creepy story. Know if it is, it went great. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm sorry. it was. I'm so sorry to hear that. Awesome. So, anyways, right. so DB Cooper. So this is the story of DB Cooper. I stumbled on it while I was watching Mad Men, and people thought Don Draper could have been DB Cooper. So DB Cooper is a real case. You might have heard of this guy. Okay, so it's a guy with a huge penis. Oh, I'm thinking John Hamm, not Don Draper. You mean John Hamm and? Lil Ham? Yeah. And that's so Lil Ham, baby. Um, <laughs> so on Wednesday, November 24th, 1971, it was the day before Thanksgiving that year, this guy, Dan Cooper, bought a one-way ticket for $20 cash on Northwest Orient Airlines. I don't love saying Orient Airlines, but that's the that's name. The it name. was the 70s. Moving on. So he paid $20 cash for a one-way ticket from Portland, Oregon, to Seattle, Washington, right? Got it. So he's dressed, he's like mid-40s, business suit, black green overcoat, brown shoes, white shirt, and a black tie. What I loved about this description is I always feel like the 70s is very matchy-matchy, but this guy was rocking a black suit with brown shoes. I applaud it. Live your best life. Live your best fucking life. He had a briefcase and a 4-inch by 12-inch by 14-inch paper bag you might go that's so specific why in the world would you tell me that i think it was just like a sandwich lunch bag okay okay well you could just say that next time no but four inch 12 because it was so specific because he's because he's so specific so he goes in the plane he sits down 18c not a great seat let's just call it a day 18c not a great seat on a plane what's that aisle aisle that's not bad. Well, no, I feel like it could be. I feel like it's a window. Incorrect. It goes outward. A, B, C. But yes, however, okay, the plane had 37 passengers and six crew members. So it was a tiny plane. I'm like thinking there's like oh, one lone. Interesting. I don't know. Basically, I can't imagine him. I I don't see him sitting next to someone. He was in a um, a 277. What? A a 727, a Boeing 727. Okay. So I don't know what that looks like, but again, it's the 70s, so air travel is, like, glamorous, and the service is incredible. So he sits down, and he orders a bourbon and soda, right? So a little after 3 o'clock p.m., so afternoon, the flight takes off, and the flight attendant is going around asking for drinks, all that stuff. He orders the bourbon and soda. In some reports, I've heard it was a bourbon and 7-Up. A seven and seven. But who knows? Bourbon and soda, seven and seven? We don't know. But we sure know the measurements of that paper bag. And we know Lil Ham. So. (laughs) Okay, so the flight attendant is coming around. He has a note for the flight attendant. He gives it to the flight attendant. The flight attendant, I'm sure, is like, fuck, a drunk guy giving me his number. I get this all the time. It's the 70s. So she puts it in her pocket and doesn't look at it, right? So she's making rotations up and down the plane. And 
he goes, hey, miss, over here. I don't know if he hit the call button or anything. Right. But he got her attention. Ding. And he, say, he said, miss, you better look at that note. I have a bomb. Okay. So I think the thought, it's no longer his number, as I think I was saying. Got it. Say. It's not just a flirtation. It's not just a flirtation. Or this is a really weird way to flirt. <laughs> I got a bomb in my pants. <laughs> So he's like, Miss, and I love that he like gives her a note. She's like, fuck you. I deal with business travelers all the time. Yeah. Not interested. And I think she probably does what any woman would do in that situation, whereas if you ignore it, it will go away. And if you don't look at it, you don't have to engage in it. I think we've all been there before. So anyway, so he says, Miss, look at that note because I have a fucking bomb. So she goes, hmm, I should probably look at that note. So she pulls the note out. <laughs> she says, hmm, I should look at that note. So he and it writes, just said, "Do you like me?" Circle yes or no. <laughs> well, he did. So she put circles a, no. She did put an M for maybe. So <laughs> okay, okay. Able, and you know, I mean, it was actually for the guy behind him. He right. was good friends with him. Okay, so she opens the note and it says, "I have a bomb in my briefcase. I will use it if necessary. I want you to sit next to me. You are being hijacked." She is being hijacked. <laughs> Well, okay. I think the plane yeah. is. Well, but she's specific. the mediator. Got it, got she's got it, the intermediary at this point. So, she... so obviously, we do negotiate with terrorists. So she sits down next to him, and um, she's like, "Can I see the bomb?" So he opens that briefcase, not the sandwich bag, mind you. He opens the briefcase, and there's a bunch of wires and co- red colored sticks and a cylindrical battery. Sounds fake. Sounds totally fake, but again, he made it. He made. I'm He's sure not he an made idiot. It. He's not trying to get on an airplane with a bomb, right? However, well, they didn't have security. It was the seventies. No, I, but just... I'm just saying he's not trying to get on an airplane with a bomb in the name of self-preservation, and things go wrong. The thing I hear that you, is it went to Michael's poor. the day before arts <laughs> and like, crafts mm, project. You have candlesticks that look red. Sign Perfect. me up. Perfect. I'll take six. I'll take six. I don't. Here's the thing, is if I were the flight attendant and I were sitting next to this guy, Dan Cooper, I would say, you know what, this seems like a fake. <laughs> I would be like, okay, you have a bomb. Oh, I would function totally. as it's a bomb. Absolutely. So he then asks her to write down what he wants to give to the pilot, which this part really bothered me for multiple reasons. One, don't be a dick, don't hijack a plane. But also the fact that You had that time he, to make this list. And he's making her be his secretary. And I'm going, this woman is now, like, looking at your bomb, having to write it down. She's a flight attendant. Her job is actually for safety protocol. It's not just to serve you bourbon and sodas. Like, she's and a fucking And write down your human. wish list. Exactly, right? She's write it not, down yourself. Write it down your fucking self. You know how to self. write. You, you have wrote a note. Me, you wrote me a fucking note. Write Why another. couldn't you write down? Why did you have to... Like, what a power move of having him sit next to her. Gross. So anyway, so... What he wants are this. He wants $200,000 by 5 p.m. in cash in a knapsack, which in that money, as we know, is roughly $2 billion. I want. Is that true? <laughs> no, it's not true. I just you always round trick up. trick me every time. <laughs> every time you really think it's true. He wants two parachutes, two front parachutes and two back parachutes. And then um, when they land in Seattle, he wants a truck to refuel their plane. And he says, no funny stuff or I'll do the job. Ooh. 
He means business. Okay. Hence the word job. He did ask for the $200,000 to be exclusively in $20 bills, so in spendable cash, so not big bills, all that good stuff. What year is this? 1971. Okay. Um, so I guess that's a lot of money. I think it's a Just good seems amount. so much like not a lot of money right now. But I think it's enough money where people can get it easily. Yeah. It would have been, no one's like, going to argue with him. Right. I think if you do it like. We can't do it. It's like, yeah, you can. I wonder if there's like a threshold. Like if, hey, by the way, any of our dear readers, if any of you are hijackers or like robbers or heist folks or hostage making people, like what is the threshold of dollar amount that seems reasonable for said things that you feel like you can get easily and walk away? That's a question we have for you. Mm -hmm. So the attendant then goes to the flight attendant then goes to the captain and they let them know. The captain then talks to flight control. Flight control then says, okay, we will release the money. We will get them their demands. When the plane lands, we will let the passengers off, get the fuel truck, all that good stuff. So the captain, which I liked this, the captain told the passengers, hey, um, we're delaying our landing because of minor mechanical uh, there's a minor minor mechanical issues or there's a minor mechanical fault or whatnot. And I liked this as to not engage the rest of the group in this sort of traumatic experience, right? Yeah. Nobody really knew they were being hijacked. Right. Which I think is probably the right protocol. But another interesting information that I liked is when the flight attendant came back to sort of give approval and say we were going to, they were going to adhere to his demands. He put on black wraparound sunglasses. He's like, now I feel cool. <laughs> Now that this is working, I feel cool. It's 71. Like, what is their version of wraparound sunglasses? Yeah, because I'm picturing Oakley's. I'm picturing for sure Oakley's, like, reflective, (laughs) just, like, gross Oakley's. Yeah. That I like it. So while they were circling above Seattle, he said, looks like Tacoma down there. So it sounds like he was familiar with the area. He knew Seattle well. Um, he orders a second bourbon and soda or seven up again, we don't know, um, and pays his drink tab and offers the flight attendant to keep the change. What a class act, but also God, what a, what a weird, weird flex, but okay. Weird flex. (laughs) What a move. He also offers to, to request meals for the flight crew when they land. I thought that was a nice He's like, touch. are you hungry? He's like, are you hungry? He's like, it's not you. I just need this money. It ain't personal. Yeah. So I think they politely decline. I don't know if she takes the tip. I hope she did. She deserves it. Definitely. Um, Above and beyond. So they ask him if he wants a real military uh, parachute or a civilian one. He rejects the military and takes a civilian one. This He I'm knows not, who he is. He knows what he needs. This is not totally substantiated as there was some conflicting evidence later on, but I'll get to that later. So the plane lands in Seattle. He has them take to like a well-lit area of the airport. The FAA guy comes in. He's not dressed in his uniform so as to not be confused with police. Dan Cooper instructs them to go into a well-lit area so they're free of snipers and everything. So they bring on the four parachutes, the money, And they have the refueling truck happen. And so once he has that, the rest of the passengers are then let off the plane. And so after it's refueled, he wants them to take him to Mexico City. So 
there was a couple issues with the refueling. Like one went in, it wasn't enough. He tried to be like, no, this should be enough. They switched it. Basically, if they refueled the plane, they were going to go. He did have some demands. He said he wanted to go to Mexico City, but it had to be, you had to stay under 10,000 feet and you had to go the minimum speed possible. Why? I well, I'll, you'll get, you'll see in a minute. So they said, well, if we go the slowest speed and we're under ten thousand feet, we will need to refuel again. We don't have enough time. So they negotiated that he was going to stop in Reno, Nevada, a second stop to refill and then leave. Another stop. Another stop. Jesus. That was the negotiation. Okay. So they refill the plane. It's just him. Let me see. He, it's him, the pilot, and like one. It's six total people on the plane, I believe. It was him, the pilots, one flight attendant member, and him. I don't know how, whatever you that is. You can't list him twice. Just so I you know. know. Relax. That's, not, that's cheating. <laughs> is that cheating? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, everybody leaves, save for a couple flight attendants and the, and the pilots, and they take off again. And so at one point, the flight attendant comes out and is like, what do you need? He goes, listen, I want you to go lock yourself in the cockpit with the pilots and don't come out here. So the flight attendant goes in with the pilots and it's dark, it's late at night and they see a notification or <laughs> notification like an iPhone. Yeah. They see they see an alert that the back door is open. I picture it just like in the car, right? Ding. Yeah. It's just <laughs> it's like, like flashing alarm. on the back door, like a light. It's like It's open. It's open. Yeah. And they call and they go, do you need help? Do you need help? He doesn't respond. They land the plane in Reno, Nevada, and he's gone from the back of the plane. Right. At 8 p.m., somewhere in between Seattle and Reno, Nevada, he jumps out of the rear door of the plane of the Boeing 727 um, with two parachutes and the money. And he was never seen again. But had to have... All right. Between... Say where again? Between Seattle, Washington and Reno, Nevada. That's a big window. Mm-hmm. But also, they weren't over water, so we... They weren't over water. And we, presumably, if he died, they would, they would find have found the body, body and the huge and parachute. attached to a parachute. Okay, so this is where... So he was never seen of again. This, just so you know, because I've told enough of the story to tell you, this is FBI's... It's one of the great unsolved mysteries of FBI as well as U.S. history. Whoa. So, seemingly, all this stuff happened. He's never seen from again. They named it... Um, he did leave his tie on the plane, okay. which I love for one reason. It was a Mickey Mouse tie. It was a JCPenney clip-on tie. Oh, great. Isn't that a great move? Yeah. And I love it. He had his, like, black trench coat with a... Anyway. So it was a guy that wanted to look business but wasn't. I don't know. There's so many theories, and I'll get into those in a minute. Um, the case is called Norjack because it's Northwestern hijacking. So it's mm. the Norjack cast. Kate. It's the Norjack case. Got it. So there's really no evidence on the plane save for the tie. And the tie did have one little bit of DNA that they've been able to isolate, but Nothing. haven't matched it with no anything. Hits. No hits. So when they gave him the money, the 20s, they all took the serial numbers of all of the currency. So if it could reappear later. The two flight attendants that were on the plane that interacted with him that night, they met with a sketch artist, and both of them gave remarkably similar sketches of the um, 
culprit of the suspect. That's the word. I like culprit. I like culprit. That's suspect. cute and olden timey, right? Right. Of the culprit. We gotta Arr. catch the culprit. We gotta catch the culprit. She. Um. So they have identical sketches. So he's five between five ten and six foot. He's between one hundred and seventy and one hundred and eighty pounds. Mid forties. Brown eyes. So he has forties anymore. So he's uh oh my god no but he's in his seventies now. Wait, he's, he's in no, his nineties now. He's I think he's D E A D dead is what I assume. Oh, just based on the time. I don't know how he died. Whether he died that night or before, we'll get into that. Um, his voice was low, no accent, and he had an intellectually proficient vocabulary. He sounded like a smart dude. I'm trying to picture what he said that made them say that. He probably said. Ma'am, I'd like to purchase two vouchers for this aeroplane. Oh, yeah. Please, see the play, por favor. He did three languages, so it meant that he was a smarty pants. Yeah. Sounds right. So that was in 1971. In 1972, letters were sent to the FBI, New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times, Seattle Times, either confessing to the heist or um, eulogizing a recently deceased D.B. Cooper or claiming to be their brother. Now, an interesting part of this thing is this is known as the D.B. Cooper case. The D.B. Cooper case. Got it. So you always have to say it that way. It's a hard Keeper thing to case. say. So it's known as the D.B. Cooper case. However, they don't know how B got in there because he was always Dan Cooper when he purchased the tickets. So something oh. happened in, like, the files or rumor mill that it became D.B. Cooper. And um, it stuck. And it stuck. So in November 1972, these two guys, Donald Sylvester Murphy and William John Lewis, were taken in for questioning on charges of extortion because they claimed to be D.B. Cooper and were trying to sell, quote unquote, his story to tabloids for money, which interesting to fake that you're a criminal. Yeah. Weird, weird choice. In the next five years after the case, there were over 800 suspects. Wow. Because they truly just didn't know. He was just like a normal-looking white guy. They're just like, has a dude come in here that looks like every other dude? And did he spend, like, a lot of money? And what were the serial numbers of the $20? Right. All but 24 were eliminated from consideration. So there were about okay. a couple dozen who were still up for grabs. Yeah. So... What they did is they, with this Dan Cooper... What are they doing? They're, like, running around with the flight attendant being, like... Is this him? Is this him? Is yeah, this him? that's the only person that can help, right? It seems there's not much... There's, like, no evidence. It was yeah. just... It's pretty remarkable, the cleanliness of it, mm-hmm. just in terms of not even knowing... The 70s, to, it was just a different time, yeah? It was a different, different time. So they charged this Dan Cooper, possibly an alias... With definitely an alias. I'm sure they had records of all of Dan Cooper's and they probably looked them up first. He's so great if people used his real name. <laughs> Daniel Bernard oh, Cooper. Dan. So they first charged him with air piracy, mm-hmm. which, by the way, if I were to be convicted of a crime, let it be piracy. What a fun thing. Get to tell to be everybody like, I'm a, you're a pirate. You're a pirate. Super cool. Super duper cool. So... What I love about this is the statute of limitations for air piracy is five years. So once the five years were up and they couldn't charge anyone with the case, they then go, no, 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 no. Take back, take back, take back. We're going to actually charge him with violating Hobbs Act, which is extortion, which has no statute of limitations. 
Which, by the way, what the fuck are statute of limitations? It's just like a get out of jail a free card. I don't know why. They're like, all right, respect. You got away with it for this long. I don't love those. No, I'm not a fan myself. What What is the point of statute of limitations? I don't truly? know. I don't know. It's fucked up. They don't believe there was an accomplice because when he did jump out of the plane based on where they were at of having to change to go to Nevada, Reno, Nevada, to refuel, they, he wanted to go to directly to Mexico City. So they don't they believe he was acting independently because there wasn't a place to meet him because it was off the track that they were going to take to Mexico City. Uh-huh. So they don't believe they believe this person was working by themselves. In 1980, nine years after, a young man, a young boy, was camping with his father on Tina Bar. I don't know what this is, but it's a place on Tina Bar. And he found, he opened up a package of of rotting $20 bills totaling $5,800 that matched the serial numbers of the The 20s that that they gave him. Wait. If there were serial numbers on the money, couldn't they track the money? They couldn't find it. They wouldn't Oh, so spend. he did something sneakier, like black markety. Possibly. Okay. Yeah. So people think that he fell out. He he jumped out of the plane and the bag of money like fell into the Washougal River, which I really like that he jumped out of the plane for $200,000 and the money just, oopsies, dropped it. He's like, damn it. Damn it. I really should have held on to that tighter. <laughs> that would have been a good wild. Move. Crazy. Okay. So here's a list of suspects. But they only found 5000 So the money, ha- like, you know, That's three quarters of it was gone. No. 5000 <laughs> of 200000 <laughs> Don't Carrie, I am an no idiot. scientist, but that's incorrect. Wait, let me think. Wait, I'm gonna actually do the math. Two hundred thousand. Ten percent is twenty thousand. Half of that five percent two point five thousand. It's two point five percent. Bam. I started you off though. You did, you did. Thank you, you had it going. It was an assist. I, I just needed to go. You didn't cheat. You copied. So here we're gonna go through the suspects. Suspect number one is this guy, Richard Floyd McCoy great name. He's the favorite suspect of former FBI agent Russell Blame and former probation officer Bernie Rhodes. They wrote a book about the case. So this guy was arrested in 1972 for hijacking a plane. It was a very similar heist. So it was it was a plane. He asked for the parachute. It was on a plane and it was the same type of plane, a 727. Um, he requested four parachutes similarly to Dan Cooper. He also wrote notes to the flight attendants and the notes also contained the quote, no funny stuff. So very similar. Yeah. We're, and I you Ooh, wonder. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? It's just is this guy. So it happened. So this guy was a student at BYU, Brigham Young University. Yeah. And the coincidence is that both hijackings happened while BYU was on a break. Yeah. So they believe there is some similarities. The McCoy family apparently identified an object that was left on the plane that was not released to the public uh-huh. that belonged to McCoy, um, which was – and again, I don't know. This wasn't substantiated, so I don't want to totally – but anyway, it was a BYU pin with with um, Richard Floyd McCoy's – initials so that's a possibility they ruled him out of the cooper case because he didn't totally match the description he was similar looking but he also was at home 
in Utah the day after Thanksgiving. So I don't know. That seems fairly likely. He was found guilty of the second jacking and was in prison for 45 years. He ended up escaping prison prison in... It's just this guy. It's possible. He escaped prison in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, and he ended up dying in a shootout in Virginia Beach, Virginia, because he escaped. So he never admitted to the first hijacking. Solved. You think that's it. You're going one and done. You're like, first one, done. It's happening. I just heard all the evidence. Okay. Suspect number two. This guy, Dwayne Weber. So on his deathbed, his wife, Joe Dwayne, he was like, I don't know why I call her Joe Dwayne. Her name is Joe. I don't know. Joe Weber. I call her Joe Dwayne. That's not right. (laughs) So on his deathbed, he was like, Joe, Joe, come here, come here. I have a secret to tell you. And you know what his secret was? He said, a pregnancy test in a drawer (laughs) of a desk. No, it wasn't. Okay, it wasn't just very close. Um, He said, I have a secret to tell you. I'm Dan Cooper. What? On his deathbed. So then Joe then did like a beautiful mind moment and was like, oh, my gosh, all these moments of our past have come together. So here's a couple things. He would have nightmares and speak in his sleep. (gasps) Oh, connected. He's a parasomalier. And he, about leaving fingerprints on the plane. He had a long-term knee injury that he said was from jumping out of a plane. Um, Wait. <laughs> he he said it was from jumping out of a plane? She had no follow-ups for that? Well, I think it was World War II. <clears throat> Shit was weird. It was like, it's okay. the 70s. Right. These folks, you know, they served in wars. Dwayne's handwriting was um, found in the margins of a book in a library on D.B. Cooper. He took her to Tina Bar. I don't know if you remember... That's where the money was found. Mm -hmm. He also had an old Northwest Airlines plane ticket for no reason whatsoever, which was the which was the airline that this happened on. Right. The former FBI agent says he does fit the the description and he does have a criminal background that I have always felt was associated with the case. He may have credibility, but ultimately they don't think it was him. Suspect number trace. This guy, Kenneth Christensen. He's the favorite of an author, Jeffrey Gray, who wrote a book on this. I like this because his brother, Lyle Christensen, saw an episode of, can you guess? Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries, mm-hmm. of course. I was like, I kept thinking of uh, investigation discovery was the only words that would come <laughs> into my head. <laughs> because of my star turn. Yeah, exactly. Um So Lyle claims that there was also a deathbed confession where Kenneth said, there's something you should know, but I cannot tell you. That doesn't feel like a confession to me, but whatever. That's all he said? The fact that his brother was like, I think it's him. Oh, that's a little romantic, It's a little super weird, right? Sorry. But he was the head flight attendant for Northwest Airlines, so he did have a connection to the actual airline that this hijacking, and they did think that possibly it was an inside job. Why? Um, Because it would took, like, knowledge. He knew how to open the door. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to open the door. Um, He loved bourbon. Oh. (laughs) Wow. Big tell there. Only one. Big tell there. He bought a house right after the crime. None Um, of this is feeling... A little far-fetched. However, they showed a photo to one of the flight attendants that was on the plane. um, And compared to all the other suspects, she said Kenneth was the closest. But she also said, I can't say yay. FBI said it was not a match. This guy, Kenneth, though, was also a paratrooper after World War II. 
which was sort of damning because they're like, mm, we don't know if Cooper was actually a skilled para jump or a skilled parachutist. Right. Suspect number four, this guy, Robert Rackshaw, he was too young generally to fit any of the descriptions. However, he was a former army helicopter pilot, helicopter pilot. He was, he got a silver medal for valor. He was arrested in 1978 for murdering his stepdad, but was acquitted. The following year, there were charges of aircraft theft, possession of explosives and check fraud, which those three do sound connected to this case. Mm -hmm. He claimed he was a homeless, disabled veteran, but at the time he was working on a book and a movie of his life, which I actually love because they were like, what's going on? Why are you this way? He goes, wait till the book and movie come out. He died July 9th, 2019. Okay. So those are some suspects, but here are some theories. Different from suspects. Different from suspects. There's this FBI special agent, Larry Carr, that says this guy did not survive the fall. Which okay. would justify the money going into the river and mm-hmm. half of it just being gone. Yeah. He took over the case in 2007. Remember, this case was opened in 71. It's been open. It was open for 45 years. Yeah. He took it over in 2007. He thought he was an experienced jumper, but they don't think he actually was because he jumped with two shoots. One was a working shoot and one was a training shoot that was sewn shut. The working shoot that was military shoot was actually not steerable. So there would be no way of sort of like navigating where this parachute went. Okay. And also when the DB, when Dan Cooper jumped out of the plane, it was pitch black raining with 200 mile an hour winds in his face. And he was also wearing loafers and a trench coat. Right. Like an idiot. Like a fucking idiot. Okay. They also were in a wooded area at night with cloud cover. So, but at the same time, the body and shoot were never found. Yeah, I think he probably pictured. Yeah, they were never found. It's super bizarre. It's just like this person vanished. I actually have a theory that's not in any of this, and I'll get to that in a minute. I hope it has to do with Yetis. (laughs) The second theory is that the scientists, there's a group of scientists called the Citizen Sleuths. Cute. Cute. And they got the tie and they used a little, an electron microscope and that discovered 100,000 particles on that tie, including um, cerium, strontium sulfide, and pure titanium. And they looked at all three of these elements and they thought there was only one place that these actually could be used and it happened to be in a Boeing factory. Okay. So they think that this person was working on the inside, not necessarily as a person on the line, but as an engineer or a manager of a plant because they were wearing a tie in it, a clip-on JCPenney tie. Right. Don't forget, dear readers. So they're still looking for someone who might have seen this person. So if you know anyone, please contact citizensleuths.com. Okay. Um, so the FBI called it the longest and most exhaustive investigation in its history. In t- as of 2011, the case file was 40 feet long. Oh, shit. And That's they spent funny. 40... I definitely f- don't picture it being, like, on a scroll. <laughs> I now figure, I do. I figure... I picture it like Bruce Almighty. You know how he has the file and it just goes... <laughs> right. That's what I picture this. I'm picturing an old-fashioned scroll. An old-fashioned scroll. So that you have to unroll the whole thing and then you're, like, walking to <laughs> the end of it to read it. Yeah. I love that. Who doesn't love a scroll? So this, they spent 45 years 
investigating it before they closed it in 2016. And they are, but however, as much as it's closed, they're still open to leads. It remains unsolved. It's closed, but it's open. They're just so tired. They're like, they're like, enough. Do you want to hear my theory? Please. My theory is this guy, Dan Cooper, didn't even exist. My theory is that the flight attendant and, and captain and all that stuff took the money. Oh my God, I la 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 la. That didn't come up because everybody was, but there was no surveillance. All of the people that would have seen him, it's all hearsay. Good. No one, I mean, maybe I didn't see anyone with that theory, but I was like, the two flight attendants. I love you. We write the sleuth stations. (laughs) Citizens. I just, I think the fact that the flight attendants had the exact same description. Mm. Of the man, I think that the captains, they communicated and everyone came in. I mean, unless passengers could substantiate that there was a person on there. But even if there was a person, I just feel like they if you talk to like the like, I think it could have been a cooperative. And I love it with like the front desk person buying the ticket, saying what he was wearing. You win. I think I'm right. I think you're right, too, and I think they lived happily ever after. Well, I don't know if they spent the money because they had all the insider information of what the serial numbers are. And well, maybe they you could put... still spend it. You just can't. Sp- you'd have to spend it illegally. Like, you can't go to a store where it's going to get processed. But think about it, though. When I was reading it, I was going, nobody actually talked to this guy. All it would take for them is for them to take in the middle of a forest era, uh, area to throw two parachutes out and for them to take the money and hide it in their own belongings. What about the bag of the money? Yeah, they take it. They put it out. No one fa- I mean, the bag of the money. They Why could they do that? They throw out 5,000 of it. Right. Oh, to just be like. That it can be discovered elsewhere. Right. Do they have black boxes then? Probably not. I wonder what the technology was. I do too. But think about it. It all, The person only interacted through a flight attendant. Right. They went through the captain. Nobody ever spoke to him. Mm-hmm. He refused any negotiations to be spoken to with anyone. Right. There's part of me that really, I do think it was. And the tie, clip-on tie, that was had fragments of Boeing right. plane things. Why wouldn't it be? Why couldn't it be an inside job that was coordinated it. with a bunch sure, of people? sure. Well, I like yours, and I think you should tell Sleuth. No, Club. they're going to listen to the podcast, and they'll they'll just they'll send them like, a link. Wow. Don't tell them; just send them a link to this episode. And they're going to listen to your pregnancy test, and then they're going to they're going to be like, they're what? Gonna be like we... I don't know why we got sent this, but we're pretty invested. <laughs> we're so. pretty invested. These gals Let's see what seem happens great. next. <laughs> so that is the story of Dee Dee Cooper. Job. Great and story. The reason it connects to Mad Men is because I don't know if you remember. Spoiler alert: Don Draper had like a fake past they believed that at the end when like he kind of goes crazy that he was going to become db cooper that he was oh because and cooper i don't know if you remember was the name of yeah. the ad agency yeah so they thought that he was going and to, dan is don and so that he was going to become db cooper Dick, don dan whatever and fake and like basically create a new life with new money i love that so that was like a fan theory that was going on with Cute. mad men Anyway, I think I'm right. I do think there was something. They haven't found this guy. There was no parachute. Yeah. No, I like your theory. Dear readers, write us. Tell us what you think. But yeah. most importantly, uh, get on that Patreon. Uh, it's www.patreon slash truly darkly creepily. Or 
go to our brand new spanking new awesome website called trulydarklycreeply.com. Yeah. And go to the love button and you can find our Patreon. If you click the love button, it'll lead you right to our Patreon. If you click the laugh, it leads you right to us, of course. And if you click the learn, well, there'll be a new treat every week where you'll get to learn something new. This week is about sea turtles. Sea turtles. Enjoy. Enjoy. Enjoy.